Welcome to the West Side Audio Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. And if you're looking for more ways to connect with West Side Assembly of God, feel free to check us out at www.westsideag.org. You'll find all the information about our service times, upcoming events, and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected with West Side Assembly of God. Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. Still in the 14th chapter of John, I am first going to talk to you about the science of prayer, because when I ended last week, we were talking about Jesus teaching us how to pray. If you ask anything in my name, it'll be done of my Father. And I didn't get to cover the rest of that like I wanted to cover it. When I get that out of the way, just give me about 10 minutes for that. I want to move on to the next section, which is about the Holy Spirit. Or the Greek word there, when it is translated <clears throat> comforter, advocate, helper, whatever uh, translation you may have, that the Greek word there is parakletos, and our English word is paraclete. Everybody say paraclete. Somebody said parakeet. I know they did. This is not parakeet. This is paraclete. And we're going to deal with the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, and explain that. And I'm going to ask, why is the local American church so powerless? What's the problem? And that's where we're going to end up as I've laid out a roadmap for you today. In the 12th verse of the 14th chapter, Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And we dealt with that issue last week. They will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. May I pause there just for a minute to reiterate from last week that we should not make the mistaken notion of trying to look at the, at the uh, kind of miracles that Jesus did and then uh, figure out what kind of miracle does he expect me to do that's greater than anything he did. That's the wrong thinking on this. What he is expressing is that the work that we would do as a church in evangelizing world, the world would be the greater works. Period. Now we don't all go around raising the dead. It happens sometimes by the sovereign power of God. But when the church is doing what Jesus expected the church to do, we are doing the greater works that he promised us we would do. And Jesus said in the 13th verse, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And I know that the heading of this section, when it says the science of petitioning prayer, sounds like one of those modern-day formulas telling the people the secret of answered prayers. And this is how you do it. We like formulas, unfortunately. It's sad that people get caught up in the concept of formulized prayer. That mentality causes people to focus more on using the proper words. Fearing if the prayer is not properly constructed, you may not get your prayer answered. And it almost becomes superstitious that if the prayer is properly formulated, we, God has to answer us. 
And if he doesn't answer us, we must have not spoken it right. One of the mistaken notions in placing undue stress on the way we pray is do we pray to Jesus or do we pray to the Father? Some of you may have an opinion on that. You may have even expressed to somebody else, you ought to be praying not to Jesus, not to Jesus, but you ought to be praying to, Father, to the Father in Jesus' name. Come on, people. Like, really? The way you phrase that is going to make a difference on whether, the Holy, whether God hears you and answers you. And we become so encumbered with all of these little nuances in prayer, we're missing the important part. It's about relationship. It's not about how you pray and what words you use. It's about how you're related spiritually to God. That brings us to the next point. Jesus said, ask anything in my name, I will do it. The nature of the prayer is important, and the state of your heart is important. But when Jesus said, I'll do whatever you ask me in my name, and then he repeats and says almost the same thing, ask me for anything in my name, then those people who read that without seeing any qualifiers make a theological error. What I mean is, if you think Jesus is implying that you can ask anything in his name and write your own meal ticket and he has to do it, you are not understanding what Jesus was trying to tell us. Yes, but it says anything. Yes, but anything is not unqualified. It's qualified by what part people fail to read. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. James said, you ask and you ask amiss. There are ways of praying in which you're not praying properly, not because you use the wrong words, but because you've set your heart on the wrong things. And if we're not in right relationship with God, you are asking amiss. If you are asking just to lie in your own pockets, you are asking amiss. If you are asking to glorify yourself, you're asking amiss. That's not at all what Jesus was trying to imply. When he said, ask anything in my name, I will do it, that the Father might be glorified. So your prayers have to be focused on God being glorified in what you're praying for and what you're doing. It's this unmistakable guiding principle for prayer that has been so abused in this passages. This unmistakable guiding principle of prayer that prevents us from writing our own self-serving meal ticket because you cannot pray for your own benefits, selfish, self-centered benefits, and at the same time, believe that God is being glorified if it's all about you. And the second less obvious mistake that we find in this and qualifier is when Jesus said, in my name. Most of you have probably heard somebody preach about this or teach about this and tell you that when Jesus said, do this in my name, and they've told you what Jesus is telling you is if you do this by my authority, then the Father will answer you. That's become a very common mentality in Christianity. That is, all we have to do is go to the Father. He's ignoring us. He cares very little about what we have to say until we invoke the authority of Jesus, and all of a sudden, He's all ears. Oh, it's the authority of my Son. Now I will pay attention and I will answer. But the problem is, the phrase, in my name, in that culture, those people would not have understood that any way, shape, or form to be the authority of somebody else. 
what they would have understood that to be is alluding to the character of that person. Now, in the Old Testament, you see people who were given names that reflected their character. You see it in uh, Eve, uh, the mother of all living beings. You see it in Jacob, the supplanter. It's the character of these people. And that Jewish culture fully understood when you were invoking somebody's name, you were invoking their character, not their authority. So when Jesus said, you pray in my name, he was not saying this, the Father will pay particular attention to you. Whenever you invoke my authority, what he was saying, though, is you, if you pray according to my character, that is, Jesus is holy and righteous, always wanting to please the Lord, and if you pray in compliance with the character of Jesus, the way Jesus would pray, it's kind of like saying it this way. It's not the what would Jesus do, even though that's valid. It's what would Jesus pray. That's what praying in the name of Jesus, according to the character of Jesus, how would Jesus pray? What would he ask for? What would be his purpose and his mission? And I think I've kind of climbed, uh, uh, cleaned that part up so I can move on to the next section about the Holy Spirit. Once again, everybody say paraclete. How many don't know what you're saying? Jesus said in the 15th verse, If you love me, keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you. The Spirit of truth. Remember that. Keep that in mind. The world cannot accept him because the world neither sees him nor knows him. So the world will not understand your perspective of the Holy Spirit. They will be totally baffled by your recognition of the Holy Spirit, by your motivation and empowerment by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him. It doesn't know Him. It doesn't see Him. But you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. Verse 18. This is so important. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before the long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by the Father. And I too will love them and show myself to them. Now, what Jesus is talking about is leaving us with a valid resource, the parakletos, the advocate, the helper, the paraclete. It's been translated many different ways by different translators. The counselor, the comforter. The problem with these words is none of them fully embody what Jesus was saying when he said Parakletos. And so we fall short with these very limited words that we use to translate that. They don't give an adequate, complete picture 
of what the Holy Spirit does. The word helper seems to have a subtle implication that you're going to do the work and he's just going to be there and attend to you. You're in charge. He will help. Now, I'm not saying people believe that. But I'm saying it doesn't quite fully describe it and define it because it leaves open this possibility that somebody may misunderstand. You're doing it. He's just going to be there to help you. And certainly we understand that's not at all what the paraclete is about. The word comforter, while expressing one very important facet of the Holy Spirit, is too limited to fully express parakletos. He does comfort. We know he does. But that's not all that he does. The word advocate is a legal word. And it points to another facet of the Holy Spirit's work on our behalf. We often fail to understand how that advocacy works. And perhaps, I'm going to take a guess, many of you have always believed that our advocate, if that's the term we choose to use for the Holy Spirit, is the one that is pleading between us and God. He's our advocate. He is there saying, God, please don't vaporize them because they've gotten out of line. I think I can do something with this person. That's not the kind of advocacy that the Holy Spirit brings. He is not the advocate to the Father in our behalf. Jesus did that. He advocated for us. He completed the work. What the Holy Spirit does is He advocates to the world in our behalf and in the Father's behalf. So the advocate is a good word, but we often fail to realize the arena and the description of that advocacy. By translating the word into the English word paraclete, that doesn't do us a whole lot better either because most of us don't really fully understand paraclete. So we have a problem here. There's not a single word we can use here that for we Americans in the 21st century fully describes what the Holy Spirit is doing. But leaving it as paraclete, at least if you want to pursue the meaning of paraclete, leaves it open to the fuller definition. We might be using that obscure word. It might be sending people running for their dictionaries. But at least we're not choosing a single dimensional word to try and express the word of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now there are two paracletes that Jesus inferred, implied, by what he said here. I will send you another paraclete. And it's very clear that when he said that, he was implying that he himself was a paraclete. He was the one that was going to advocate for you. He was the one that was going to be a helper, but not, not on your terms. He was going to help you carry out the mission that God had established, the things God wants you to do. He would direct you. He would comfort you. All of these things the Holy Spirit is going to do. But he said, I'll send you another paraclete. So you have to look at Jesus' relationship with the disciples. He was their paraclete. I ask you, what could the disciples do before Jesus came along? They could catch fish, and they didn't even do that successfully every time. When Jesus came along and began to develop them, they did things that these old crusty blue-collar workers had never dreamed of doing in their life. All they could do before Jesus came was just work a job and hopefully provide for their family. 
But when Jesus came along and began to transform uh, his disciples, they began to impact their world in ways they never dreamed they would ever be able to do. Remember whenever he sent them out two by two and gave them the power and the authority over unclean spirits and, and to be able to do these miracles, these old fishermen never did that before. They were not accustomed to doing these kind of works. It was the paraclete there that enabled them to be able to do that. So now Jesus is implying in this chapter, I'm not always going to be with you. And these men are wondering, what are we going to do without you? How are we going to do this? And Jesus said, don't worry. I'm going to send another paraclete. I'm leaving, but another one is going to come. He will groom you. He will empower you. He will carry on the same duties for us that Jesus carried on for his disciples. We often wonder what it would be like to walk with Jesus when he came to dwell among us. Come on, people, be honest with you. Have you not dreamed what that would have been like to be on his ministry team? We think just to be with those, among those 12 disciples or, or however many were following Jesus at any given time and to follow him around and to see those things happening and to be in, uh, empowered to do things we had never done before and we just salivate at that, that, that possibility. Oh, if I could have just been there with Jesus and in doing so, we are dismissing the fact that Jesus said, I'm not going to send you a substandard paraclete. I'm not going to change the mission of what you have to do or the tools you need to do that mission. It's just going to come through the Holy Spirit instead of me. So when you wonder what it would have been like to minister under the direction and the paraclete of Jesus, you are missing the point. You can minister under the power and the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, and still carry on the mission that God intends us to do. Jesus recruited and handpicked men to train to help in the ongoing project of establishing God's kingdom. They went from being mere fishermen, farmers, tax collectors, doing nothing spectacular, nothing life-changing, nothing earth-shattering. Then their paraclete came along and gave them a new purpose and empowered them to do mighty works. They were astonished that suddenly demonic powers were made subject to them. The sick were healed. The lame would be made to walk. The blind to see. And Jesus entered his first, ended his first phase of ministry, earthly ministry, by the crucifixion and the resurrection. Then he ascended into heaven. And he told his disciples, as they were wondering what's going to become of us, he said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When you do, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. He was casting a huge vision for his followers. He told them, wait until in Jerusalem until you be endued with power. And they did. And Peter stood up and declared, this is what Joel prophesied, that the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on people without class distinction. It'd be poured out on handmaids and servants. It'd be poured out on the, the old and the young. He didn't make a difference how old you were. He didn't make a difference what status in life you had. 
the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit would be for every body who would desire to be used by God in that capacity. And there was this unmistakable evidence that proved that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, and I'm glad that there was. I'm glad that there were witnesses there, that there were the 120 gathered together, and when the Holy Spirit began to move in them, there was visible signs. There was tongues of fire, little jets of fire sitting down up one, each one of them. There were foreign visitors running throughout Jerusalem because this was feast time. And coming into Jerusalem, they heard these locals speaking in their own language, and they bore testimony to how amazing that was. How is it that they were doing this? So there was evidence as the Holy Spirit was being poured out that was undeniable. The paraclete had been sent. The paraclete has been here. Every generation does not have to pray for a new Pentecost. Every generation has to walk in the power and the relationship with God because the Holy Spirit has already been sent. We don't have to tarry in Jerusalem anymore. I know that we have been thinking for years in Pentecostal churches about getting this personal experience with the Holy Spirit when we come down and we pray and we pray through and we get the gift of tongues because that's a part of the theology of the Assemblies of God and the Church of God and the Four Squares, this evidence of speaking in tongues because of the endowment of power by the Holy Spirit. There's a problem with that. Is I have, throughout my ministry, I have seen repeated cases of people who have spoken tongues who could also give you a tongue lashing a few minutes later. I have seen repeated incidents of churches who were tongue-talking churches that didn't have enough power of God to blow the fuzz off a peanut because it's not all in speaking in tongues, but it is in walking with God, in walking with the power of the Holy Spirit, in fulfilling the mission God has given us, and knowing that if you're going to do the work He has assigned us to do, there is a paraclete. He will make sure you have the tools to get that done. So why is the local American church so powerless? Here's a fact. Number one, God still has a work that he wants done. Can everybody agree with that? We're still under this divine direction to take the good news of the kingdom to a lost and hopeless world. That hasn't changed. The work has not ceased. The project hasn't died. God prepared the church to carry this work out from generation to generation. It's ridiculous to think we have to come to the end of our... Uh, we have come to the end of our effectiveness as a church and begin to just flag and quit and despair. That wasn't a part of God's plan in sending the paraclete. And the Holy Spirit is not limited by what condition of the world we live in in our time. And so for us to despair, if we're ever tempted to despair, and think in this post-Christian era that we're living in, whenever in the United States that the number of people who call themselves Christians who attend church is declining every single year and has started around the end of the 20th century, the beginning of the 21st century, starting to see a steady decline. Most major denominations are in decline. 
those who are not in decline are just about flat line, just a tiny little bump of an increase. It's a little deceptive because we see these mega churches springing up where 500 people, 1,000 people just started a few years ago and all of a sudden they're just everywhere and we're thinking, my goodness, the church is just blossoming. But across the board in the United States, many people are dropping out. More people are dropping out than are showing up in mega churches. And part of the problem with this is people are drawn to sensationalism. And the local church is not drawing people because they don't have the momentum to present sensational things. Everybody's going where all the noise is. But where's the Holy Spirit? Where's the work that God has challenged us to do? Fact number two. The paraclete is still here to ensure the successful mission of the church. The first paraclete ascended into heaven. But the second paraclete, helper, comforter, advocate, whatever you want to relate to that, has come. He's here to empower the church. He descended on willing vessels with irrefutable signs on that day of Pentecost. And he's been here every day and every night, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and 52 weeks a year. Every year since that time, he's been here. He doesn't take a vacation. There haven't been eras when he's gone. There's only been eras when the church has walked away from him. But the Holy Spirit has never been gone. That same Spirit that fell on those disciples, is still here today to ensure the success of the ministry of the local church. Fact number three, I've already mentioned this. Christianity is losing ground in the United States. It seems the power and the effectiveness of the church is waning in our nation with all these denominations in decline. And the morals in our nation are sliding and we're thinking, what's becoming of this world? What's becoming of our nation? What's going to happen to the church? From a biblical perspective, I have to remind you that the worse off the world is, the better the fishing is. We have a mission to get the lost and bring them to Jesus. And the more wicked it is out there, more opportunity there is for the Holy Spirit to wake people up, to shake them up, to bring them into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So it's not like we're losing a battle because there's more wicked people than there are righteous people. It's like we're thinking, Lord, this is the best fishing spot we've ever seen as the American church. It's time for us to look at this as an opportunity and not a setback for us. So what's the problem? The Holy Spirit hasn't resigned. The mission is still active. We seem to be losing ground in America. What's the problem? I want to suggest to you, from my perspective, first of all, I suggest the church has dismissed the Holy Spirit. And when I say church, you have to understand what I'm saying. Not every local congregation has. But I would say that the composite church of the United States of America is guilty. If you take the balance of everything that the American church is doing and standing for, I think that I can say that composite summarized church is guilty of dismissing the Holy Spirit, even though some local churches are still walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Too many local churches have lost touch with the power of the Holy Spirit. There's still some local churches doing a good work, but there's too few local churches who are actively carrying out God's mission 
by the power of the Holy Spirit to turn back the encroaching darkness in America. Too many churches have become entertainment centers, but there's no place for the Holy Spirit in an entertainment center. Too many churches have become social clubs, but the Holy Spirit is not interested in social clubs. Too many churches have become mainly dedicated to the social gospel. They're so busy feeding the hungry and clothing the needy and doing the good social works, but they've abandoned the truth of God's Word. That is true right in here in the Quad Cities. There is a group of churches, a network of churches, an organization of churches that is big on the social gospel, the practical clothing and the feeding. But the Holy Spirit has left their churches a long time ago and they keep trying to salve their conscience by thinking, but we're doing good works. It's part of the problem. Too many churches have bought into political correctness instead of Bible correctness. They've compromised the truth in order to make peace because they fear offending anybody. But in the process, they cannot preach the truth because the, tr because the truth cuts to the heart. The church has forsaken the truth because Jesus called the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Truth. I will ask the Father, He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. Our paraclete is the Spirit of Truth. But a modern American church has dismissed the Holy Spirit. They don't need the Holy Spirit to help them hand out free meals. They don't need the Holy Spirit to help them run second-hand stores. They don't need the Holy Spirit to support gay rallies in downtown Davenport. They don't need the Holy Spirit to sponsor Christian beer fests in their church. They don't need the Holy Spirit to preach feel-good messages about treating your neighbor with respect, but never walking according to the dictates of the Holy Spirit and God's commands. They don't need the Holy Spirit to lead them when they have multiple thousands of dollars pouring into their coffers any week and they can do anything they want and buy anything they want. And in rejecting the Holy Spirit, they rejected the Spirit of truth. Some of you may have seen this circulating on social media this week. Reverend Bromley McClinigan, a married mother of three and associate pastor for Ministry of Families at Union Church in Hinsdale, Illinois, has recently written a book called Good Christian Sex and says single Christians, this is the shocking part, single Christians can have sex as long as it's mutually pleasurable and affirming. In other words, we're no longer talking about fornication. We're talking about just, it just has to be affirming. I'm sure she'll sell plenty of books. People want to hear that kind of stuff. It's only one example of how too many pastors, too many local churches long to please the world instead of trying to please God. They don't need the Holy Spirit to act like an alley cat. They can do that all by themselves. They've tossed out the spirit of truth. They're peddling this soft, compromised, feel-good message to a lazy, self-indulgent congregation. Next point, the church that never looks beyond their own abilities and strength and resources. That church has a problem with the Holy Spirit. This church might be a busy church. But they're busy with their own agenda. They're not busy with God's appointed task. We simply do not need the Holy Spirit to do what is possible. We only need the Holy Spirit to do the impossible. And if we become so withdrawn into ourselves 
that the bottom line for our ministry ends up being how many people we have and how much money is in the bank, and that's all we can do. Lock the doors and go home. It's over until we realize you need the Holy Spirit to do the impossible. We need the Holy Spirit not to do the lesser works. We need the Holy Spirit to do the greater works Jesus promised. I cannot imagine trying to turn the city of Davenport around by ourselves. But we have a paraclete that has been promised to us to help us fulfill the mission God has given us. The Holy Spirit will not abide where He is not needed or not welcomed. And I wonder if the Holy Spirit's welcome in our congregation. I don't mean to indict you or indict this church. I'm simply asking the question. Think about it. I don't mean taking a moment for a message in tongues. I'm talking about welcoming the Holy Spirit into our midst by honoring Him, by honoring truth, by respecting God's house, by engaging in genuine worship of God and not worship of worship. Is the Holy Spirit welcome in our church? Do we understand that we are as powerless as those disciples were in their mundane life before Christ if we don't have the paraclete to empower us for our mission? We don't need the Holy Spirit for the cut and dried programs. We can do that all by ourselves. We don't need the Holy Spirit to maintain the status quo. We can do that all by ourselves. But I'm telling you, we need the Holy Spirit for Westside Assembly of God to do what God has called the church to do. We need the Holy Spirit for that. And I'm encouraging you, don't shrink from our duty. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you, Holy Spirit. We cannot do this by ourselves. We're not self-sufficient. We're not like the Laodicean church. We're not rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Sometimes in West Side we are struggling day by day just to figure out how to make things work. We're not doing it under own power. We're doing it by pleading with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we need your help. Whenever we try to penetrate our community, we need you to be our advocate to go before us, to advocate from us to the world and prepare their hearts for the preaching of the gospel. And on a personal level, how's your walk with God? Are you walking in such a way that you believe that you are prepared for God to use you? Or are you just hoping the church collectively gets the job done while you're off doing your own thing? We need each one of us to focus on Holy Spirit. Am I where you want me to be so you can work with me? Don't shrink from our duty. Holy Spirit, we need you. Worship team, would you come?